0: Hello and welcome to Writing Children's Fiction. My name's Andy and I write children's fiction under the pseudonym A.P. Winter. This week is the first in a two part episode about scenes. I'm excited to pull together some ideas we've talked about before and introduce some more in depth concepts about how we write strong, clear scenes but first we need to define what scenes are. An easy way of starting to look at what I mean by scenes is to look at what they are not. Not everything that happens in your novel is a scene. One of the great things about prose is that we can address a generalized sense of time, a generalized sense of location, and even a general sense of things progressing without being boring. Often this is achieved through images, a series of images that seem to represent something about the story, for example, creating emotional resonances or giving a sense of the challenge of the world of the story without settling into specifics. For example, we might take the opening of Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones. In the land of Ingury, where such things as seven league boots and cloaks of invisibility really exist, it is quite a misfortune to be born the eldest of three. Everyone knows you are the one who will fail first, and worst if the three of you set out to seek your fortunes. Sophie Hatter was the eldest of three sisters. She was not even the child of a poor woodcutter, which might have given her some chance of success. Her parents were well-to-do and kept a ladies' hat shop in the prosperous town of Market Chipping. So lots of interesting details there and a sense of a character, a sense of things happening over the course of her life in a very efficient way. But nothing so specific as two characters discussing something, as seeing something Specific, dramatised. These series of images or these generalised impressions of things offer a zoomed out view of things carrying on and time passing. They make use of evocative language and generally broaden the reader's sense of the world. You can create some great writing in this space and we'll look at that more another time. But today we're focusing on more specific moments. Even if you're relatively new to writing, you're probably familiar with a general sense of what scenes are. Scenes make use of unity, by which we mean they involve a fixed time, a clear place, and deal with clear characters and their actions. They also seem like they belong with the rest of the story, and they address something that seems significant. So that's all quite vague so far, but you get the idea. Let's go a bit deeper. I've taken some of these ideas from Paul Ashton's The Calling Card script, another screenwriting book that I think novelists should read, so if you find this interesting, you might want to check it out. First, a scene doesn't just include a unified sense of time, place and action. It presents these elements in a way which is designed to dramatize conflict. I love that phrasing here, designed. We're building scenes here, not cobbling things together without any sense of what we're trying to achieve and then having to explain their significance. The details, if they're well chosen enough, speak for themselves. I like a particular quote from Paul Ashton's book, Don't explain. Dramatise. A lot of this relates to a truth that can be hard to grasp if we're not really paying attention to the way novels are written. Events in a good story are presented carefully to achieve maximum effect. An easy early mistake is to assume that interesting characters and a generally interesting idea is enough of a foundation to start hammering away and making things happen. In fact, a lot of advice tends to encourage this point of view. But the chances are, without an idea of what individual scenes should contain, the writing will waffle, characters will repeat themselves or discuss things of little consequence for long periods, narration or introspection will begin explaining things with no real basis for it needing to be explained, and action will feel either rushed or sluggish or non-existent. All of this because what is being addressed in each scene hasn't really been thought through beyond a general sense of needing to get to the next scene. So I'm not proposing to do that, but I'm also not saying you have to sit down and plan out every single scene before you can start writing, although that can be useful for some people. What I'd like to propose is something between the two. Getting used to designing scenes as you write. We do this through practice, a lot of practice, and by developing a framework of what a scene needs in your head. Some key points to help get into this mindset. Firstly, breaks are there to help you. They're not arbitrary, so look at your favourite texts, Think about how breaks are deployed to provide a sense of variety and the way they close on interesting revelations, choices or emotional resonances. That seems good to aim for in our scenes. Breaks are often consistently spaced. Chapters are a roughly similar length and scenes within chapters are commonly a similar length too. Think about your ideal scene length. For a 9-12 novel, it's probably just a couple of pages. So here's the start of our framework. We're looking at a couple of pages set in one place, or showing characters moving through a clear, short series of places, across one short time period in which something happens that seems significant to the story. Sounds fairly straightforward. Thinking about writing in these units two or three pages where something interesting happens will help keep things clear and focused and hopefully show you that writing is achievable. If you can write a couple of interesting pages time after time, you can write an interesting novel. Now, a quick recap on some devices that can help make scenes interesting. We like conflict in scenes, by which we mean Someone wanting something and having trouble getting it. Whether that's internal, part of a relationship with characters, or something in the world of the story. We like conflict that doesn't start too high in terms of the stakes of the scene. Because we don't want to end up repeating ourselves or resorting to melodrama after we've revealed the most interesting dramatic detail. For example... If you want to write a scene where the main point is a revelation that someone you thought you could trust ate your chocolate bar, you don't start by saying, I can't believe you ate my chocolate bar, and then have three pages of discussion about how bad it was of them. The most interesting thing has already happened, so why are we still in the scene? Instead, you leave a trail of rappers, have an exchange of questions about what it could mean. A sudden realisation that the chocolate bar has gone, a focus on the other person's body language to show them as suspicious, and then close on their revelation. I'm sorry, I can't keep this secret anymore, and so on. More on this idea, conflict, I mean, not chocolate bars, in the episode Where the Wild Things Argue. We also like choices. Choices show characters enacting change, and present a neat system of cause and effect that we can follow throughout the novel, with one small decision early on often leading to large consequences. We like a sense of characters facing a choice or making a choice in scenes, and again, it's often good to close a scene on the impression of someone facing a choice. I talk about this more in the episode, George's Arbitrary Medicine. We also like intrigue. I've talked about this at length in The Very Hungry Author Pillar. Intrigue is built around why questions, details in the story that prompt the reader to ask the question, why? Raising these questions and keeping them spinning for as long as possible and encouraging the reader to ask questions before we answer them is how we create a sense of plot. So conflict, choices, intrigue. If I wasn't so attached to the word intrigue, it might be the three C's, but uh, we're not that lucky. So yes, it's the two C's and intrigue as well, I guess. With those three elements in mind, we're caught up on the basics. Now, let's go further with the idea of conflict. Conflict must resonate with the wider story to make a meaningful scene let's think of a simple example of conflict that doesn't resonate. A scene shows two characters that we will never see again, having an argument that bears no relation to any of our main characters or their situation. It also doesn't have any basis in wider themes. So let's say they're arguing over a train ticket in a train station we'll never see again in a story that doesn't involve trains. Their argument is the whole focus of the scene. It ends with one of them getting the ticket, And we move on to the next scene. It's happening in a clear setting, taking place over a set time. We know what's at stake, and there's obviously conflict, but it's not a good scene. And that's purely because it doesn't connect with anything. Now, I know you're all writers, so if you're hearing this and thinking, I could make that interesting, that sounds like a good basis for intrigue, and I think I could link that scene to the story later, good. That's the point. The only thing it's missing, the only thing stopping it from being a real scene, is that connection. It's full of conflict, but currently it doesn't resonate with the whole. So in our scenes, as well as showing conflict in a set time and place, we want to add this sense of connections to the wider story. So far so good. Now we get into ideas that sound dangerously like political philosophy. Scenes are interested in things changing, or people struggling to keep things the same. Either way, they're about change. And generally, scenes need to affect change. If nothing needs to change, if there is no indication of people wanting change, or people enacting change, it's possible there isn't a scene. Actually, there's a weird sense that stories, on a fundamental level are always encouraging us to cope with, or even get excited about, the idea of things changing. How we engage with this idea of change might vary, but I would usually encourage you to think of one key sense of things that need to change per scene, so that we're not getting overwhelmed with events. We're going to pause here. As I said, this is a two-part episode, so we'll have lots more details on scene planning and execution next week. In the meantime, I want to leave you with something to think about. If every scene involves something changing, how do we stop all these complications and changes from seeming tedious? More on that to come. Now, for a bit of news about the podcast, It's been a lot of fun seeing the responses to these episodes, thank you so much to everyone who has reviewed them or shared them, it makes a big difference. Serious stuff for a moment, alongside being an author, teaching creative writing is my livelihood. Now I fully intend to keep posting free advice on writing whenever I can, because it's something I care about, But if you want and are able to contribute something to support me and the continuing podcast, you can now do so through the link in the episode description. Just click on it and it will take you to buymeacoffee.com, where appropriately enough you can donate the price of a coffee. Listeners have been suggesting this for a while, but I wanted to have a significant portion of material out there, and at least a monthly schedule before I considered it. And I also wanted to use a service that wouldn't inconvenience people. Buy Me A Coffee is brilliant. It doesn't do annoying things like email supporters after they've kindly sent money. It just offers a quick link you can tap on and choose the amount you'd like to send. Okay, thank you for listening to all of that. All of this aside... I have benefited from lots of free advice and media when I've been out of pocket, so don't feel guilty at all if you're not in a position to share anything. It's just great to have so many people listening, and I hope this helps lead you on to good things. That's everything for this time. Thank you, as always, for joining me. Next time, part two on What Makes a Scene. I hope you'll join me then.